Encephalization. Platypus. Trajectory. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is dinosaur news. This is from fizz.org. Fizz is in like physics, not like fizz, like a Mm -hmm. pop. I think we've had this this, (laughs) this this before. before? (laughs) Have you brought this? Okay. I think so. Uh, The headline is Researchers reconstruct the first complete brain of one of the oldest dinosaurs. But they're really small, so it's probably pretty easy. They are really small. The brains are. Yes. You know more about dinosaurs. It's obviously not easy, but. But. But you're right that they're small. Uh, (laughs) The study of the brain of extinct organisms sheds light on their behaviors. However, soft tissues like the brain are not usually preserved for long periods. Hence, researchers usually reconstruct brains of dinosaurs by analyzing the cranial cavities under computed tomography. Oh. Yeah. That's a lot of big words. I know. Oh, yeah. This is just even the first. There's more. There's more coming. This requires very well-preserved brain cases, which is the region that envelops the brain tissues. To date, complete and well-preserved fossils like this from the oldest dinosaurs worldwide have not really been found. However, in 2015, a Brazilian paleontologist unearthed an exceptionally well-preserved skeleton from a fossiliferous locality in Uh, southern Brazil. Do you know that word? No. Because I learned it. Today. Does it just mean an area with a lot of fossils? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they yes. say that? <laughs> it means like rocks with a lot of fossils in them. <laughs> it's actually a pretty fun word though. Fossiliferous. Fossiliferous. Um, so yeah, they found a skeleton there. The skeleton, approximately 233 million years old, or from the Triassic period, belongs to a small carnivorous dinosaur named Buriolestes Schultze. Aww. And the entire brain case was preserved. And now Brazilian researchers have reconstructed the first complete brain of this dinosaur, one of the oldest known species of dinosaur. The study on this was published in the Journal of Anatomy. The brain of Bariolesti Schultze, <laughs> hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, is relatively small, like you said. It weighed approximately 1.5 grams, which is slightly larger than a pea. So it's very small. That is very small. The shape somewhat resembled a crocodile brain, which I have no idea what that looks like, but... Uh, kind of makes sense. Okay. They, they look similar, right? I mean, that is a reptile, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this thing looks nothing like a crocodile, so oh. I don't know, but well. reptile brains? <laughs> uh, in addition, the presence of well-developed structures in the cerebellum indicates the capability to track moving prey, which was just a note that they had. Um, okay. Conversely, the olfactory sense was not high, therefore it is more likely that this dinosaur hunted and tracked prey based on optical capability rather than its olfactory sense. Hmm. So, and they can tell that from the brain and the wow. different parts of it. So that's pretty cool. The scientists also calculated the intelligence of this dinosaur based on the brain volume and body weight. <laughs> the values obtained are higher than that of giant sauropods like Diplodocus and Brachiosaurus, which are like part of this lineage of the same dinosaur, suggesting a decrease in encephalization in this dinosaur's lineage. So encephalization, if you don't know, is um, like the evolutionary increase in the complexity and size of the brain, which happens often in like the evolution lineages of like different animals and stuff. 
And it that didn't happen in this lineage. It was like the opposite. <laughs> it got <laughs> so less were like, complex. Oh, oh, that's weird. Huh? I wonder why it's evolutionarily advantageous for it to decrease. Yeah, I, I they don't know. They didn't say, and I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay, that's that's interesting. That's awkward. And they, don't bring that up at family dinners. <laughs> they they actually gave an example. They're like. That's interesting because other dinosaur lineages do increase in encephalization. Like, for example, um, they give the example of like where Tyrannosaurus rex, like that, whatever that lineage, lineage is called. Um, mm. So that was a, a strange finding. But yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> all right. um, so, so yes, yeah, so they can tell all that from reconstructing the brain. And uh, yeah, that's that's what they did. And now we know more about this dinosaur's. Life, I guess. And it's pea brain. Mm hmm. My first story is animal news. <laughs> this is from Gizmodo. The headline is As if the platypus couldn't get any weirder. <laughs> oh, no. There's something about a platypus? <laughs> yeah, we found another thing. Another thing? <laughs> how many things can there be? So I really like how they, op- how they opened this. The platypus is nature's crazy quilt. <laughs> As this strange creature looks like about half a dozen different animals all rolled into one. Uh, it turns out, though, that they're hiding yet another feature. They can freaking glow in the dark. Oh, my. Oh, my God. <laughs> they glow in the dark? They glow in the dark. Well, in a way. I'll okay. explain it. Um, so they said, it's not enough to be a mammal who lays eggs, sports a duck-like <laughs> bill and web feet, hunts using electroreception, and wields venomous spurs. The platypus also glows green under ultraviolet light. What? <laughs> what because is of this animal? It's, what is it? It's, it's a an monster. alien. It's an alien. It's, ba- it's got to be. Uh, detail, details of this unexpected discovery <laughs> were published earlier this month in the science journal Mammalia. Uh, the platypus joins a very exclusive club as it's one of only three known biofluorescent mammals, the other two being opossums and flying squirrels. Um, mm. Of course, biofluorescence and bioluminescence are seen in many other organisms, such as fun, fungi, fish, phytoplankton, reptiles, amphibians, and at least one species of tardigrade. Um mm. The team uh, involved in the study, led by biologist Paula Spath-Anish from Northland College, um, they were the ones who discovered biofluorescence in flying squirrels last year. So with this in mind, they decided to try their luck with another mammal that was active during the, the dim hours of dawn, dusk, and overnight, um, that being the platypus. Uh, platypus fur appears brown in visible light, but as the new research shows, their fur glows green or cyan under UV light. They found that platypus fur absorbs UV wavelengths between 200 and 400 nanometers and then gives off visible light between 500 and 600 nanometers, which is an optical process resulting in fluorescence. And they speculate that their glowing fur could be a way for the species to see and interact with each other at night, since they're primarily nocturnal. And if they can see UV, then, or if they can see in that spectrum, then they would be able to see each other at night, which is kind of cool. <laughs> That's cool. But, also, but of course, like other mammals and stuff don't have that. Right. It's just the platypus because the platypus 
just absorbs traits from random other creatures yeah. on other, this world. Other animals just have really good night vision if they need to see at night. <laughs> the platypus instead is like, nah, I'm going to glow. Nah, I'm going to glow. <laughs> nah, man. Nah, man, I'm going to glow. <laughs> Which I think is a pretty cool attitude. I like it, actually. Shine bright like a platypus. Shine bright like a platypus. <laughs> Okay, you listening, two, two Rihanna? Yeah. Shine bright like a platypus. I'm putting mm-hmm. that up on the wall. And then, nah, man, I'm a glow. Putting that up on the wall, too. Okay. I like those things. All right. My next story is health news. This is actually from interestingengineering.com. Oh, and it should be interesting. <laughs> or at least engineering. <laughs> yes. The headline is, Scientists Track Cough Droplets Flight Trajectory. Oh, gross. So someone's done a... <laughs> before I get into it, someone did a study about cough drop, droplets, and they simulated a bunch of stuff, and now I will talk about it. Uh, researchers from Singapore's A-Star Institute of High-Performance Computing conducted a study on cough droplets flight trajectory in an outdoor setting using simulations. Oh, this is going to make me feel feel weird about being outside right now. <laughs> it might. Uh-oh. Uh, unfortunately. Um so using computers that could simulate all the variables, the researchers were able to pinpoint the airflow and the airborne cough droplets around humans at different wind speeds under the influence of other environmental factors such as weather. The study was published recently in the journal Physics of Fluids. A cough... It just sounds... Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Also, like, I know I shouldn't really be laughing about this, but one of the photos that they put in the paper, I'll show it to you at the end. It's, okay. And you'll see why I'm laughing right now. Okay. A cough usually emits thousands of cough droplets, and they spread around a wide range, which I think is something that we kind of know at this point because it's been like in the news a lot. Right. Researchers discovered that even without any wind, large cough droplets traveled three feet away from the coughing subject, and smaller droplets that can evaporate easier in the air traveled even further, I think because they had less like moisture to weigh them down. Mm-hmm. Less air resistance, maybe? Also that. I mm-hmm. don't know. Physics. Yeah. <laughs> Later on, the team tested the droplets with various wind speeds and found that under a wind speed of six feet per hour, which I don't know what that actually translates to in life. Yeah, that but means nothing to me. I don't know, but that's what they did. Uh, cough droplets can actually travel up to 19 feet away and maybe even further according to the weather conditions. Oh, no. If the air is really dry, the droplets evaporate faster, making them travel further distances. Oh, no. Which is like... Think like winter air. I was going to say we're about to get into yeah, very like dry weather. Really dry and like windy is mm. actually like not good hmm. for being with people outside. <laughs> according to this, <laughs> oh no, um, they didn't say that. I'm just saying that. Um, <laughs> regarding the relationship between flight trajectories of cough droplets and wearing masks, one of the authors stated that in addition to wearing a mask, we found social distancing to be effective, as droplet deposition is shown to be reduced on a person who is at least three feet from the cough. Wearing a mask. I mean, that's, you know, what we've heard this whole time is that wearing a mask obviously reduces this risk. Right. So uh, then they said, please note these findings and the study is based on outdoor airborne transmission in a tropical setting. To track cough droplets flight trajectory in different settings, the results would be highly dependent on the weather and the wind speed and the air humidity and the temperature. Mm. So all those things affect these, like, distances. Right. So... Um, they said that while this was a limited scope study, the team is working to develop this into a more general, uh, general, larger study in order to optimize comfort and safety of the public. So, 
think it's good good yeah. research to do. Is, yeah. <laughs> right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do more. Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah, pl- please do more of this. More I science. love numbers and love science, science on this stuff. Science and numbers facts. are great. Oh, awesome. Big, big facts on facts. Awesome. Love facts. I just want to show you this figure that they published in their paper, and I want you to look at part C of this, <laughs> because I was like... <laughs> doing i don't think there's so should i describe cow. what we're looking at yeah <laughs> so <laughs> the figures here are like it's like two 3d human shapes and they're just <laughs> blasting each other with particles <laughs> but it's coming from like their entire head and chest <laughs> the third one is like not a real it it's doesn't look like somebody not coffee. even it looks like looks like there's like particles coming out like their whole body <laughs> their right? like, entire blasting body. the other person <laughs> it's like some kind of anime character like shooting another character with a magical beam of particles <laughs> and also the best part is that the other person is just standing yeah. there <laughs> just standing there and taking it all in <laughs> I, I don't know i was just like laughing so hard at that <laughs> earlier okay and now i guess yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway so i thought that was a a good way to use simulations. And um, I hadn't heard about people doing this in like the outside, like outside. Yeah. The like outside is, of, is interesting. Cause I think we've been kind of told it's okay. And it, it might not yeah, be. <laughs> because, well, I mean, you know, to be fair, there is a lot more air circulation happening. Right. So I think it's like the, it's not going to linger. I think and it's also going to dissipate faster. So yeah. you're getting like a less of a load potentially. Yes. That too. I think, I think is what, at least I think that's the logic that I've heard, but I think this applies more to like, you might have some risk right immediately if somebody's like coughing next to you yeah, yeah, outside. Yeah. That's kind of what this is simulating. Right. It's not like stuff's going to like hang in the air, or like be on a surface outside. Unless they're wearing a mask. Also, yeah. Unless they're wearing a mask. <laughs> wear masks. And if you're wearing a mask, it's all, everybody wear masks. Everyone wear masks. Anyway. Yep. That's my health update for today. My next story is technology news. This is from Engadget. And I mostly brought it because I want to complain about a thing. All right. So here we go. The headline is, this Chrome plugin brings Google's old icons back to your tabs. Have you noticed that Google has changed the icons for like every application that they have? Like Gmail and Calendar. I did notice that. They're kind of weird. Yeah. They are kind of weird. Do you like them? I saw some people talking online about how they hate the Gmail one. Right. I don't hate them i like some i like the idea of them i think but i think the execution is a little poor and i'll kind of get into it okay um but yeah this is really short anyway so it's mostly going to be me complaining uh (laughs) that's fine (laughs) if you're not a fan of google's new icons we have some good news a new chrome extension lets you restore the tab icons for gmail calendar meet and other google services to their former glory google introduced its new slate of icons in october when it rebranded g suite to google workspace And it's fair to say that most people aren't a fan of the new icons. Not only do they look generic, replacing designs that were once iconic, but they also make Google services less accessible since it can be hard to distinguish between the icons when they're smushed together in small tabs. That's my biggest complaint with them is they all look very similar, Mm -hmm. which I realized their idea was like consistent branding among them all, but it's, it just makes them really hard to distinguish. I, I personally like pin my email and calendar to like the little tabs. I, at least in Firefox, I don't know if you do this, but oh. I always have them pinned on the on like the far left of my oh, browser. Yeah, I do and they that just too. like now they just look identical. And I'm like, 
It's a little yeah. Extra I always have my calendar work. and my email right next to each other, two tabs on the left. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, and the yeah, the, the logos are just so they are they're very similar. Yeah, and they used to be the Gmail was just like the red M, and the calendar was the blue calendar, and like they were the colors were very distinct. And now they're yeah. all red, yellow, green, and blue. Like all of them yeah. incorporate all four colors, and it's really it's weird. Like even the new like docs icon. I don't know if you've seen that. It's just no. like a a rectangle. Very similar, actually, to the calendar, except it doesn't have a number in it. And really? It's, but it's just like a red, yellow, green, and blue rectangle with, like, a, the corner bitten out. I mean, it's a, supposed to be a folded page. I just <laughs> said it was bitten. Anyway. Uh, so the plugin won't help you bring back Google's old icons on mobile, but if you own an Android phone, you can use a, per, a third-party launcher and set the icons however you want because Android just lets you customize everything. Um, <laughs> and if you don't use Chrome, the creator of the extension says he's working on a Firefox version too. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I'll actually change. I don't know if I'll actually use it, but I did want to bring it up because it just it just seems Google makes some questionable design decisions often, I feel like. And sometimes, they? sometimes they're really good, or I shouldn't say questionable. I uh, I should say bold. <laughs> <laughs> they really they just kind of go for it, and sometimes it's sometimes it pays off. And this time, I don't think it did. You know a lot more about design than I do, so I think the idea of like being consistent makes sense, right? Right. But at the same time, too, like, don't you usually want to have like one or two colors, like? Their colors are like five colors. Like, is I feel like that is what's throwing me off a little bit. Right, and and I think part of the problem is that it's good to have consistency within an app. Like, you want your colors and everything to kind of mesh within the same app. Mm. But across apps, it's not really crucial that mm. things match. And in this case, yeah. I I agree that they it makes it less less accessible for somebody who might be like vision impaired or something yeah. even to to, to distinguish because the the icons all look so similar. All right, my next story is also technology news. This is from uh.edu, which is the University of Houston website. Mm. The headline is, New Design for Implantable Device that Can Monitor and Treat Heart Disease. That sounds good. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Pacemakers and other implantable cardiac devices used to monitor and treat arrhythmias and other heart problems have generally had one of two drawbacks. They are made with rigid materials that can't move to accommodate a beating heart, or they are made from soft materials that can collect only a limited amount of information. Mm. Until now. Until now. Researchers have reported in Nature Electronics, a patch made from fully rubbery electronics that can be placed directly on the heart to collect electrophysiological activity, temperature, heartbeat, and other indicators all at the same time. According to the authors, the device marks the first time bioelectronics have been developed based on fully rubbery electronic materials that are compatible with heart tissue, allowing the device to solve the limitations of previous cardiac implants, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it sounds like the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In addition to the ability to simultaneously collect information from multiple locations on the heart, um, a characteristic known as spatiotemporal mapping. Ooh. More big words. <laughs> the device can harvest energy from the heart beating, allowing it to perform without an external power source. Oh, wow. That's a that's also a big yeah. a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Super cool. Um, and that allows it to not just track data for diagnostics and monitoring, but to also offer therapeutic benefits, such as electrical pacing and 
they mentioned thermal ablation too, which I think is a little bit um, speculation, but maybe. So this research is an encouraging step on the route towards next generational bioelectronics and biosensors that do not have a hard, soft interface for the heart and other organs. So pretty cool. That is really cool. My next story is space news. This is from CNN. Psyche, an asteroid believed to be worth $10,000 quadrillion, (laughs) is is observed through Hubble Telescope in new study. (laughs) We've got to have something above quadrillion, right, that would more eloquently state 10,000 quadrillion. Would it be quintillion? Is it ten quintillion dollars? What's know. a quintillion again? <laughs> I think it'd be the quadrillion is five. It's like the four. Is, wait. wait, what's a quadrillion? What is a quadrillion? It's right now, million, billion, trillion, quadrillion. It's I, just after a tr- I think trillion. Yeah, I think it's three more zeros than trillion, and I think quintillion is maybe the next one. But I might be making that up. <laughs> anyway, ten thousand quadrillion dollars. <laughs> Um, it's a rare metallic asteroid about three times farther away from the sun than our planet that could yield secrets about Earth's molten core, and scientists want to learn all about it. Um, all right. This is a new study published Monday in the Planetary Science Journal that takes a closer look at this mysterious asteroid using data from the Hubble telescope. Located between Mars and Jupiter, Asteroid 16 Psyche, as it's apparently called, is one of the most massive objects in the asteroid belt in our solar system, and with a diameter of about 140 miles, it is roughly the same length as Massachusetts. Uh, So it's very big. Uh, The exact composition of Psyche is still unclear, but scientists think it's possible that the asteroid is mostly made of iron and nickel, and it's been hypothesized that a piece of iron of its size could be worth about $10,000 quadrillion, which is more than the entire economy on our planet. (laughs) I was going to say something like that. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, there's... okay, so if someone brought that back here. Literally more money than, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they mentioned later in the article, like, actually bringing it to the planet is completely infeasible without destroying the Earth <laughs> and also <laughs> without destroying Earth's economy. <laughs> <laughs> so one of those I think we should prioritize over the other. Yeah, but yeah. Still, um, Anyway, scientists believe that Psyche could be the metallic core of an early planet that lost its mantle and crust due to collisions that might have occurred early in the formation of the solar system. So they think it's kind of like the Earth's core, except exposed and not molten. Oh. So it's just metal. Um, Weird. And so that's why they want to study it, because yeah. it could actually teach us a lot about our own planet, if that's the case. Uh, in 2022, NASA is going to send an unmanned spacecraft to Psyche to study it up close and better determine its composition. And cool. there's actually a lot more information in this article, but that I thought was a pretty nice summary of, of what they've seen so far. Um, and yeah. I just think the number 10,000 quadrillion <laughs> is hilarious. So I wanted to share. Yeah, no, that is. Um what if someone figured out a way to go up there and just take like a little piece of it and they came back? I mean, it'd still be rich. worth quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jetpack Man's going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. Jetpack Man. Jetpack Man. Unidentified Jet, jetpack Man. Yeah. yeah, that guy. <laughs> he can apparently fly into space now. <laughs> <laughs> he can do anything. I mean, he disappears. He can, appears. I don't think he can do anything. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm just being silly. <laughs> You've created an immortal superhero. 
JPEG man. All right, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Fossiliferous. Ready, set, go! go! Okay, I have something from delish.com. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is just random, but they have a, a story that the headline is Google searches for fries and liquor stores saw a spike on election night. <laughs> And they just have all these trends. And Wait, like specifically what people were... fries and yes. liquor? Huh. Fries and liquor stores. Liquor does not surprise me. Fries is a little more unexpectedly specific. Yeah. Um, one of the – okay, so there's a, there's a bunch of data. So the top near me food searches were these. Pizza near me, Chinese food near me, liquor stores near me, sushi near me, and Mexican food near me. Like all spiked. Okay. And then um, I guess – then fries near me was also one of them, but I don't know like where it was in that list. In that ranking, yeah. And um, the, so the reason that that was in the headline is because that and liquor stores near me apparently are at, like all time highs for those terms <laughs> oh, on that evening. Okay, okay they like okay. broke records on how yeah. many people searched those things. People desperately wanted fries. <laughs> people definitely wanted fries. For <laughs> people, de- people. <laughs> you got this. I believe in you. People desperately wanted fries and booze. That's what they wanted. And the data says that. So Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds yeah, sounds good to me too. I might order some of that later. Okay. Anyway. That was all. (laughs) I found my story on the New York Post, and it's a breaking space news. Ooh. Um Astronomers discover hellscape planet that rains rocks and has lava seas. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Sounds like the last level in wow. a video game. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so yeah, astronomers uncovered a hellscape planet that rains rocks, has deep lava oceans, and clocks winds of more than 3,000 miles per hour. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds like a hellscape. Okay. So, the planet is called K2141b, and it exists more than 200 light years away and is one of the most extreme planets ever discovered, according to a paper published on Tuesday in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. <laughs> wow. Um, scientists say it is flogged by wind four times the speed of sound and has an, <laughs> has an ocean of lava more than 60 miles deep. Uh on one side of the planet, it has temperatures that dip to negative 328 degrees Fahrenheit. And on the other side, they rise to 5,432 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. Which is hot enough, How? Which is hot enough to vaporize rock. <laughs> they said Whoa. that the extreme heat allows the rocks to precipitate as if they were particles of water. It literally rains it rock literally rains because of how hot it is. Rock. Like rock evaporates, condenses in the atmosphere, and rains back down. Like that's <laughs> what we're dealing with. Here. <laughs> wow! Um, wow! I'm I'm like I'm this weird mix of mix of amazed and horrified right now. Yeah, and they, <laughs> the the evaporated rock particles are pulled to the frigid side by supersonic winds, which causes rocks to rain back down into the lava oceans, which is like whipping rocks around the planet. <laughs> This is insane. <laughs> also, how can winds be traveling faster than the speed of sound? Like, how is that even physically possible? I don't know. It must have something to do with, like, the wild difference in temperature on either side of the planet. 
You know how like when, oh. when like a front comes through, the wind tends to increase? Yes. But it's not obviously to this extent. Yeah. Like just, I guess the thousands of difference in degrees is enough to just, air is just flying around that planet. Wow. Um, wow. But uh, they pointed out that all rocky planets, including the Earth, started off as molten worlds similar to this, but then rapidly cooled and solidified. Uh, so lava planets like this one give us a rare glimpse at this stage of planetary evolution. So it's another one where we kind of can study another part of the of the Earth that yeah. we haven't been able to study because it's just at a different stage in its evolution, which is cool. Fascinating. And also terrifying. But also terrifying. <laughs> because I'm both amazed and horrified yeah. by this place. <laughs> I wish we could I wish we could send like some kind of thing to it and get like HD video of what it actually yeah. looks like to, looks like to be on a planet like that, like roiling oceans of lava. The problem is by the time it got there, they would probably have cooled or something. Two hundred light years away is really far. Oh, it's two hundred light years. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty far. But anyway, I just thought that was really that was really wow. cool. <laughs> hellscape planet yeah they need to rename that something a little more uh <laughs> fitting for for what it is not right, like yeah. letters and numbers yeah, but letters like and numbers aren't cutting it's just be called like the hellscape you know <laughs> just doom 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 planet, planet doom. doom there you go yep all right that's our show thanks for listening everybody we post episodes every friday and as always the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description you can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News, on Twitter at, at News, and on Instagram at News. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.